It's very beautiful. I mean, the foothills of the Sierras are gorgeous. The foothills look like melted sort of mounds of ice cream. The hills are very rounded, but there's so many of them um, that the horizon line is really very beautiful around there. And I was heading east, you know, into the foothills. The hero heads east from the world of common day. Matt Parker was ambling through the remains of civilization in the western foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. His last whistle stop was Forest Hill, California. I was staying at this place called the Forest Hill Lodge. It's what you might call a one-horse town, population 1700. Along the main road through the town is a cafe, a deli, a school, and a lodge. Matt was preparing for a prolonged period of time with few people and even fewer amenities. Running water, a bed, these delights of the pine log lodge of Forest Hill. And it was a, a very quaint, you know, little lodge, and I was the only person staying in it. I became sort of in a weird way like a local celebrity. I hadn't accomplished anything. I mean, I'd, I'd been on the trip for maybe two weeks. Matt had no way of knowing that his first big accomplishment was a surprise tucked a day away in the Sierra Nevada mountains. We'll get to that on this episode of Ride of Passage, the true story of one young man's solo horseback ride across the country. Chapter 3, The Whistle. When the locals found out who I was, on the one night that I did go out, there were these two bars on either side of, the t- of, of this road that went right through the middle of Forest Hill. And they would periodically grab me from one bar and the people who patronized the bar across the street would come over and take me over to their bar. <laughs> and so I was sort of ping-ponged between these two places. But one of, the, one of the bars, and I'm not sure if it's still there or not, was like directly across the street from the Forest Hill Lodge. And it had tons and tons of um, deer antlers and things like that, like inside. Matt, spinning yarns with locals, plying him with beer, says, hey, looks like the hunting is good around here. And then that started sort of this, this story amongst a lot of the locals of saying, yeah, the deer hunting used to be really good. But not anymore, they say. I kind of didn't think much about that at the time. But Matt would revisit that conversation soon. Matt headed back to the Forest Hill Lodge that night and soaked in what would be the last truly comfortable night for a stretch of time that he couldn't foresee. In the morning, Matt collected Smokey from a paddock about a mile down the road, cinched his saddle, and they rode off into the Sierras. Those mountains are more difficult to cross, I found. The Sierras are are quite steep, so it's sort of like peak valley, peak valley. There's some very well-known drop-offs that are in excess of 1,000 feet down. Hmm. There's a section called like One Horse Gap, which is literally like a shelf road that's wide enough to get you know, a horse through it and that's it, you know, so it's, it's very narrow, very, and I'm not a fan of heights. So it was, uh, 
it was an experience. <laughs> it was an experience. Matt and Smokey wound their way along a narrow trail of shale and exposed roots. Scrub brush and craggy gray rock lined the path. Matt and Smokey passed through Deadwood Cemetery, its weather-worn wooden sign arching over markers for its 17 residents. They passed by long-abandoned sluice mining operations, the decay of 19th-century entrepreneurship. Lodgepole pines blanketed the landscape, their wind-whipped, broken limbs giving at once the feeling of a lush, untrodden forest and a tinderbox. The day kept getting longer and longer, and I was looking around going, you know, there's no place to camp. Like, either I was on the side of, like, a thousand-foot drop-off, or then I would get someplace, and, and, and I remember going through the forest, and it was getting, you know, kind of close to, to, to dark. And when you're in the mountains, darkness comes a lot faster than when you're down on the flat. Even though the sun hasn't set, once it sinks below the mountains, whether you're, you know, 5,000 feet or something like that, you know, you're living in sort of a twilight period for an extended chunk of time. So I was always thinking, okay, time to, time to make camp. I remember going through this sort of green area where there was a seep nearby. And there was just a little bit of water that had, that had allowed green grass to grow. And I said, okay, well, this is the best we get. And it was right on the trail. And on one side, it, it went up into the mountain with a bunch of like scrub oak and stuff like that with, you know, some pine trees and things. But you couldn't see much into the brush. Like it was pretty thick. And then on the other side, there was this shelf that broke off that was six, seven feet down into sort of some boulder scree that that kind of went down downhill. And I tethered Smokey to the tree, to this one pine tree, and I set my tent up, you know, close to it. And I started hearing this really funny whistling noise. To this day, I can't explain it, but this sounded like a, it was, it was bizarre. It sounded like a human whistle and it would circle my camp. And I remember hearing it down in the wash, but you can't really see. And I'd hear it at like my 12 o'clock. And then I, then I would hear it, you know, in the woods, you know, 30 yards away. Like echoing or? Yeah, it just, it sounded like, a, like it was like. But was it bouncing like, off the rocks? No, 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 no. It was the source was moving. And so I would I would just hear this this whistle. It sounded like a like a person whistling, but and it didn't sound like a bird. And it kept it would circle me, and so and it never stepped on itself. It was always I would hear it, and then it would come over, you know, to like my nine o'clock position, you know, six seven o'clock behind me, then to like you know three four o'clock position, then back to you know like over time. You know, over the course of several minutes. And so it was just it was just kind of spooky. And 
And I was, it, it just, it bugged me. And um, it bugged Smokey. He would just, he, he would hear it and he would just stop. If we can take a moment here and head back to the bar in Forest Hill. Matt, surrounded by deer antlers, asks about the hunting in the Sierras. The locals say the hunting used to be good, but not anymore. And I remember one guy looking at me and saying, yeah, there's a mountain lion problem. They're, they're thick up there. They were kind of bitter over the fact that the mountain lion population had grown to a point where they estimated it was a problem and, and they were actually killing the deer. And that had sort of changed the hunting dynamic locally. The mountains were thick with wildcats. And for anyone, any normal person who doesn't try to look for mountain lions, I suppose, as a living, um, seeing a mountain lion is extraordinarily rare. Back at camp, Matt picketed Smokey to a tree, set up his tent, and prepared to sleep, the eerie whistle having stopped. So finally it got dark, and this is summertime, so it's dark, dark. I laid down in the tent, and I had my pants off and my boots off. Neither one of those were ever repeated (laughs) 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 on the trip. And um, just drifting off, I'm like, you know, I, 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 you know, right at that stage where your body gives like an almighty like lurch, and I hear Smokey just scream. Like he just screams, and this, you know, like, you know, like just like it sounds like there is a brawl happening right at the foot of my tent, and then I hear this huge scream of a mountain lion (laughs) and I rip open the tent and then I hear this the scream and this thwack like the sound of like Rocky Balboa hitting a side of beef or if you ever hear a horse kick another horse you can feel it in your chest like it's like a you know like this like whap you know like this very thick smack and as I get the tent open, Smokey then takes off down the trail. Like he's like gone. And I'm just like, oh shit. I throw on my boots, I'm still in my boxers. I grab my gun and my flashlight and I take off after Smokey. And it's only as this process unfolds that I realize like there's a mountain lion that's that's at least out there willing to take on a horse which is either they're crazy you know they're starving or they're big enough to think that a horse could actually be a meal none of those are good things was there any party that was like my horse is gone i'm alone out here oh yeah 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 i mean that 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 was that that at that point it was just terror and it was dark oh yeah yeah pitch, pitch black Pitch black. Nothing. I don't remember any light whatsoever. Terror for you, terror for him. Yep. Or just like all. All bad terror. <laughs> all all bad terror at that time.
so I, I get to the creek and I don't see him, but I also don't see another set of hoof prints going across the creek. Like, so he ran over the creek and just kept on going. So I'm like, well, he's got to be around here someplace. And I'm like calling to him, nothing. And so I start a grid pattern with my flashlight and I see like sort of the, the creek running in front of me, the spines of this really sharp pine tree, and then beyond it, these eyes and a whole bunch of steam. And he's like sitting there and he's like, you know, he's just like out of his mind scared. And he's got his rope tied around this fallen pine tree. So I go over and I get him and I, you know, I'm comforting him. And he was more or less okay, except he had like a, a slice on his left, like above his, sort of on his hip, like not on his flank. And it looked like a claw mark. And he had some puncture wounds on the right side of him, but they were more holes, like hole-like, whereas on the left side, there was like a slice. Imagine like a house cat pouncing on a toy or taking your feet by surprise at the foot of the bed, ears pinned back, all claws and teeth. Except that this is a 150-pound wildcat with two-inch claws sinking into the rump of a 1,000-pound horse. And the best that I could ascertain was while Smokey was sitting there, you know, or not, well, you know, he's standing there, I think the mountain lion crept up the wash and leapt onto his back from below. Matt could see the white, fatty layer of Smokey's flesh exposed by the slice, but he couldn't see muscle. It was bleeding a lot and would need to be closed up. I just went into beast mode, and I I was tending to that fairly quickly upon getting back to camp. He, mercifully, had packed what he'd need here. Painkillers, disinfectant, and the surgical staple gun. So I... Uh, I looked at him, I gave him some butte or banamine, whatever I had at the time, and sprayed the wound off, and I closed it up with three staples. I didn't have any idea. The only way that I could get, get to do it is I had to push him into the pine tree. And so I just, I shouldered into his rib cage, and I was, I grabbed hold of it, and because this hit was, so the, the, the blood was like very, quite slippery, and so I sprayed off you know, with this this blue-colored vet spray. And then did my best to, like, pinch on it, and he was so pissed. Like, so pissed. But I think a lot of it at that particular time was just, you know, massive amounts of adrenaline on both of our parts. But I had to push him into the pine tree. Then I just went bang like that, and then went bang, bang. Like, and just drove the thing in as deep as I could and just like that. And and he didn't try to, like, cow kick me or something like that. He, he didn't? Just, no. He just would, like, you know, like, you know, just hop forward. and But the whole time he he kept blowing. Like, the whole time he kept being, like, <sighs> like, like a furious, furious 
anxiety-ridden snorts. Needless to say, we did not sleep that night. Um, All it was was just us sitting there next to him, not in the tent, just sat there with him, flashlight, gun, and both of us just like, this sucks. We were packed, and I was leading him out of there at the crack of dawn. And I remember feeling so hungover (laughs) and just tired after that like bleary eyed from the night before but I was like we're getting out of here I was like I don't care where any place is better than here so and then we weren't on the trail that much that long I mean it was within a half an hour like probably within a half an hour of starting and we came around this bend and like 20 yards ahead of me there's this black bear stood up and he's like doing like this, like the shimmy shake scratching his back on a tree right there, like right in front of me. I just looked at him and I was like, hey, bear. I was like, get out. I was like, get off the path. It's like, like that. And he looked at me and then he just sort of slowly ambled into the thicket, you know, into the bush. But the semi creepy thing about it was I could hear him paralleling us, crunching, cracking slowly through the bush for a while. Attacked by a mountain lion, stalked by a bear, Matt and Smokey were exhausted and over it. They headed toward a camp at French Meadows Reservoir, where they were sure to find other people and the prospect of a break from predators. When we finally got to the reservoir, it was probably like 5 o'clock. So it was, you know, 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. or, so, or whatever it was. But nobody was around. Didn't see any cars, didn't see a single soul anywhere. And I tried to make some food then, and I remember there was like a spaghetti, like I had like a freeze-dried spaghetti meal or something like that, and I ate some of that and immediately vomited. (laughs) And I just was like, man, this has been a day. You know, I just was like, this is a bad day. But at any rate, so I'm, I'm sitting there next to French Meadows, and it's really beautiful, and I've just thrown up. And and this very nice forest ranger comes along and he's just like, you can't stay here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm so tired. I was like, I'm at my limit, dude. Um, and he said, but there's a campsite that's five miles down the road. And I was like, oh my God. So, and he was very nice, but he was adamant. Like you just can't stay here. Matt packed up his things, settled up smoky. And they got back on the trail, past the puke and into the waning light. They set up camp again, five miles down the road. He could see other tents in the distance. And I remember Smokey, I, I pick at him out again, and it's dark again. And I'm looking at it, and he's eating some grass on this hill, and all of a sudden he gives almost this like cartoonish jolt he's just staring into the woods and I look into the 
into the woods, and you can sort of see a bit more into the woods there, and these eyes are looking back at me. When I shine my flashlight on the eyes, they did two creepy things that I did not like at that particular time. First, they looked away, Mm. and then after that, they lowered like two feet. So they were right near the ground. But they had started two feet above the ground, like a cat. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, like this night, I was like, fuck this. So then I picked up camp and I moved us right next to like some, you know, like cars and folks who were actually like camped out close. So we went from several yards away to like, I was like, I'm right here. Like I am not, I was like, I don't, I don't have time for this. And I, and I passed out that night, you know, and, and actually slept. Later on in the trip, I got way more accustomed to just being fine away from people. But at that particular, after the, the previous like, you know, 48 hours, I was, I was just spent. Matt slept from then on, without the tent, but with pants and boots on. This would be his only encounter with mountain lions, although two in one day. This would not be his only encounter with pests, nor life-threatening circumstances. On the next chapter, Matt and Smokey ride into the unforgiving environs of the desert. Each foot, I think, had had at least three blisters. One foot, I think, had four or five, and, and they were like the size of quarters. I was very sunburned, like from my nose on down, um, you know, to the point where I, I think I look sort of like the archetypal, you know, desert wanderer, you know, <laughs> like very, very chapped lips, like looking, looking not great. That's next time on Ride of Passage. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Special thanks to podcast editor Rachel Ishikawa. The Ride of Passage theme was written and performed by Bob Scon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>